Welcome to Raising Connections. I'm your host, Ray Shan Mayer. This is the program where we talk about your critters, companions, commerce, and agriculture and all of the connections between them. This morning, as always, we have a fun and interesting guest joining us. Can you introduce yourself and say where you're from? My name is Billy Harrison. I live in the big metropolis of Woodbine, Maryland. We have a farm down here and raise some small grains and hay and some straw product. And I have a passion for uh, bluegrass music. So uh, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, later. Absolutely. uh, When you say small grains, what do you mean? Like oil seeds, uh, soybeans, and I don't really grow any corn. So mostly uh, just soybeans on the grain part. We used to grow some wheat. We've kind of got out of the wheat, took those fields and put them more into hay production now. The wheat market is very interesting over the last few years. There's a lot of technical stuff that goes into it, but we have a lot of fungus issues in this area. And oh, yes. uh, keeping the product at its best and making it saleable to some of the mills has been an issue over the last few years. So uh, sometimes it's just better to cut and run. Just so. as an aside, in one of my college days, one of the things that I took was medical history. And medical history would go through and it would talk about different things that could affect what would happen in medicine and the diseases people were coming up with. Lo and behold, there's a link between how wet a area is and what the rainfall amount is and what it does with the alpha toxins in the mold growing on the wheat. It's quite an interesting topic. So if you ever, any listeners out there want to know about what Bill's talking about and what we're talking about, <laughs> alpha toxins on wheat and rain, it's a big deal. Fungus is a big deal. So you're raising small grain. Hay in this area is a big deal. There's a lot of horses. There's a lot of cattle. What kind of hay are you raising? Mostly sale to horse uh, owners on the higher end. So would that be orchard orchard grass? grass. Orchard grass, yes. And a lot of probably Timothy. I don't do alfalfa. That's interesting you say that because I used to grow some Timothy and a lot of my other friends in the area did. We've had issues with it being a permanent stand over the last few years. It tend, for some reason, I don't know why, it doesn't seem to be a lasting product in the field like it used to be. And it, you know, the cost of, of production today, you just can't replant it every year. Mother Nature and Timothy Hay just aren't getting along. No. And I know a couple guys have tried it and they only get a year or two out of it. And um, that's not really worth it. So we tend to like to get seven, eight, nine years out of a hay field before we uh, regenerate it. So it's an, an issue. Makes so. good sense. The horse census is coming in from the Maryland Horse Industry Board. And one of the things that we're learning more and more is that there are more and more horses in the state of Maryland, and they sure like to be fed. No doubt about it. We love it. So you're out there doing hay. Before this interview today, you were putting up bales of hay. You're farming several acres. And when you say several acres, how many active acres do you have? Uh, our farm is 100 acres with approximately 65 tillable acres. That's enough to keep you busy for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Not so much in the grain, but in hay. Uh, the interesting thing is um, we didn't mention that my main business that helps pay for all this farming. Hey man, is, yes, uh, that's true. Is uh, I have a great grading and hydroseeding business that uh, my family's been in this industry for 75 years, sodding and seeding and uh, new homes, businesses and whatever. And we actually bought the farm in the 50s to raise sod on here in Woodbine. I stopped that about 25 years ago. And uh, reverted it back to farm crops and mostly to uh, grow straw product for my seeding business. I grow some rye now just for the straw, not for the grain. That's why we used to grow a good bit of wheat. But like I said, we stopped doing that. 
And then I started making more hay sales, so I took some of my wheat ground and put it in hay. But I like to produce all my own straw product that I need for my seeding business myself. So to give our listeners a visual for this one, a lot of times on the side of the road, when the roads have been recut or there's been construction on them, like here locally down Route 32, there's been a lot of construction. Correct. So a hydro seeding would be when you go in and it's that dark green foamy cellulose looking product where you're drilling the seeds into the ground for... Well, actually, what you're seeing, the green cellulose product is actually a covering. That would be the last step. Most of the time, you would come in and seed the prepared ground, applying it with um, water or dry. It depends on the situation. And then coating it with a mulch product, such as straw. And then we use the cellulose product, mostly processed paper with dye in it, uh, which forms like a paper mache shell over the straw. So it binds it to the ground and protects it keeps it from blowing away and it actually acts like a mulch also so it's a double layer of mulch but my guess is that would keep the birds out of it then that's the first thing somebody asked me i've read articles about this in my industry and the bird situation we've never considered that to be an issue with the birds eating enough of the seeds to make a difference the biggest problem we have is moisture retention so that's what the straw was for i'll be darned that's why you asked the expert i would have thought the birds <laughs> No, it's all about moisture. And then the excavating goes along with this. Yeah, I'm not in the uh, major excavation business, but I do a lot of corrective grading around homes and businesses that have water issues, may have leaking basements or ponding areas. And then obviously we do a lot of work for new home builders uh, locally. I don't work for national builders anymore. We did it one time, but I stick to your mom and pop builders around our local area, help them out. Makes good sense. So they're on the farm. You're growing what you're using in your hydro seeding business. You've got the, the knowledge of the ground to make sure that everything is sloping the correct way. Instead of sealing the inside of the basement, fix the problem from the outside. Absolutely. You could have a whole program on that because we get that all the time. I get called in by many of my home improvement contractors that I do work for because I do a lot of additions and, and garages. And they'll say customer has a water issue and they had an estimate from a waterproofing company for tens of thousands of dollars to do the waterproofing and thought you would take a look at it. And they're amazed when I tell them, uh, you know, for a quarter of that money, we can fix the problem most of the time because if the water doesn't get to the house, you don't have the problem. Right. Right. And And then you're back to the mold and and the wheat and all the alpha toxin all over again. Absolutely. So when you're out doing these jobs and you're sitting there by yourself, hauling the hay, doing the hay, spreading the seed, putting the mulch on top of it, are you singing to yourself? No, but I usually have my earbuds in. My wife helps me a lot on this. We we don't really have employees anymore. I have machinery that does most everything, except I do need a driver, an extra hand now and then. And when I don't have to listen to her, I <laughs> usually have ear, earbuds in. <laughs> oh, that's dangerous. Listen, well, listen maybe maybe we should put that out there. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, just something to... Uh, keep you occupied. I love, you know, obviously I'm a music person, so um, I like to listen to uh, all different types of music to gather different ideas to use in what we do perform with my band. So the band is the Haywire Band, and how long has it been in existence? Yeah, it's been about uh, almost four years now. Obviously, we started putting this together, my sister and uh, a friend of mine named Terry Wittenberg, my sister Terry DePaula, and we started working on some vocal arrangements because our band relies heavily on vocal arrangements more than instrumentation. Of course, COVID hit, so we didn't have anywhere to play. 
When we come back, let's talk about the Haywire Band and your role in it. Welcome back to Raising Connections. I'm Roshan Mayer, your host. Bill, you're with us today talking about the Haywire Band and your farming here in Maryland and your excavating. Yes, correct. So my Haywire Band officially is called Billy Harrison and the Haywire Band. I've had various episodes of this band over the last 10 years, but this is the first serious group of fellows and ladies that we've put together. But what type of music are you playing? It's primarily a bluegrass style of music. Um, we do offer some other genres into it, more of a bluegrass style. We're not very traditional, although we do a lot of traditional bluegrass, but we do add some more country standards and um, even some older rock tunes that people would be familiar with. It seems to uh, even go over good with their uh, old traditional audiences that uh, you wouldn't think they would, but it all depends on how you present them. So when you're up there playing, how do you know if an audience is receptive to what you're playing or not? Well, it's pretty easy to look at their faces, but (laughs) I I got a secret weapon, and I I introduce her like this all the time. My baby sister, who is three years younger than me, Terry DePaula, is the most energetic, I'm going to say magnetic personality that you'll probably ever meet in your life. People just go crazy about her energy and life and look in general when she's performing. So it's not very hard to capture an audience with someone like that up front. Nice. And I hear she's got a pretty darn good soprano as well. Oh, she is probably one of the best singers I've ever heard in my life. We actually did some recording over the winter, and the gentleman that recorded us, very well-known, Ducks Music in Rockville, said she was one of the two greatest voices he's ever recorded. Wow. We'll put some of those snippets and your website up so we can hear what we're talking about and that beautiful voice. How did you get into forming a band? Is this something you grew up with? Is this something that in high school you said, yeah, is this, how did you do this? Well, when I was a teenager, my sister and I both were in a local country band. We played a lot of dances. She was probably too young to even be in there. I was 18. She was probably 15. Okay, And uh, we played, yeah, we we played a lot of the local dances. Uh, They used to have a lot more around than they do now at the fire companies and uh, we used to play every weekend at a place up in Hampstead called the uh, Coon Club, oh, yeah. which is well-known in, in the area for having music. So we did that for a while, and then we met some friends from the Eastern Shore that played bluegrass, which we both grew up listening to some bluegrass with my dad and whatever. And then we, we did a little bluegrass thing with them, very minor. We got tired of the dance scene. And then we both developed lives where we didn't play music for 25 or so years of either one of us. So, so taking some um, time off for the excavating and the families. Yeah, and um, it just wasn't, back when we left, it wasn't a good scene anymore. But as we matured, I got the itch to get back in it. So I talked to her, and she was very interested. So we started getting back together probably about, I don't know, in 2007, her and I, with some other folks. And uh, we had a pretty good band, but I would consider it more of a garage. I mean, it wasn't a very technically oriented band. This current reincarnation is more, I would say, professional-based, where I can lean on my players a lot better now than I used to. Nice. So Terry, my sister, has natural talent. And when you have super players, they they feed off off someone with natural talent. They really know what to do with it. It really helps. So you've played the Winfield Carnivals. You're playing local venues. 
If we wanted to come out and see you, where would we find you at? Where's some place that we could go? We're hearing this on WTTR. Where would we find you at locally? Well, we do a couple of really nice local things that we do have on my website, harrisonhaywireband.com, is our schedule with all of our dates listed. We have coming up this month, I'm not sure the date's off the top of my head. It's the third Friday of the month at the Morgan Chapel Church in Woodbine. They have a Morgan's Coffee House program, they call it. It's really nice. Starts about seven o'clock in the evening and uh, they have food and refreshments and a nice crowd and it's free. And then we do, there's a show downtown Sykesville. Well, they put on music every Friday and Saturday night, pretty much in the street. Okay. They block off part of the parking lot and it's between the Tapsco Distillery and, and the Vine on Main Wine Shop. And they set tables up and people enjoy beverages and they have some food truck there and sometimes and some other food availability. People just come down, hang out. That's also free. What do you get out of this? You're doing a lot of free events. Is this something that feeds your soul or is it something well, that you just feel driven to do? We do get paid for the, for these. Sure. But um some of them not at our current basis, but because they're free and they're close to my friends and family, I tend to, to make sure I, I'm available for these shows. We're doing the, uh, I'm going to say, Upper Co Music Festival in September, which is a big bluegrass festival. I think it's the third or fourth weekend in September. Then also another show in Mount Pleasant for a church, St. Matthew's, in October. And there's a really cool thing in Westminster um, that we're going to do. It's called Rob's Bluegrass Barn. And a gentleman up there, it's in the Pleasant Valley area, has a barn that's converted to have music shows. I think it's the 21st of July. It's coming up real soon. 21st or 22nd. It's called Rob's Bluegrass Barn. They can Google that. It is a charge to come there, but it's a really cool venue. And it's uh, pretty nice to be asked to come to play that show. So we're excited about that. So what drives so, uh, you to do this? You're putting together a band and keeping everybody happy and getting the venues lined up. What is it that drives you to do this? Just the love of the music and uh, the sound that can be uh, produced mostly, uh, especially, like I said, we're very much into uh, vocal arrangements, as you would hear on our recordings. Th- that takes a lot of work. It's, um, I mean, we're kind of all naturals as far as getting harmony together, but to make it work with the songs you really have to uh, you know sit down and figure out what you're going to do we work on a lot of the vocals aside from the other instruments we practice separately sometimes because the vocals take so much work to do on their own and then uh, bring the other instruments in to put the song together for the whole band it's like building a structure or anything else it, people can stand up and just play and it always sounds good but if you want it to sound the best you have to work on it a little bit when you talk about this i've sat in you're very community-minded. When I've sat in the Farm Bureau meetings with you or in the Lisbon Parade meetings, and you're, you know, the, I've never sat in an Ag Board meeting with you, but when you look at, at these meetings and you start talking about your music, your whole demeanor changes and you soften and your eyes start sparkling. And you really hear that when you start playing. It's almost a passion, I think. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's nothing better in the world. When you're doing a song and the, and the crowd loves it and, and you love it, it's definitely uh, almost like a drug. It puts you on a high that's uh, hard to explain. I've heard it explained like a runner's high. I, I think you're just right, because when you get up there and you're starting to perform and you all are together, it comes together really nice. The fact that you keep it local, because we tried to get you to go outside of a 50-mile radius, and you said, no, we just right here. This is where we want to be with our friends and family. Do you keep it local? Is this something that you want to expand as you go? Yes, uh, for two reasons. 
for one thing is my sister, myself, and a couple of the other guys do actually have real jobs. A couple of the other guys are retired and they could travel at their will. But I don't have the luxury of going away to maybe a major festival that's, you know, a four-day festival and you have to get there on a Wednesday or Thursday and spend the whole weekend. My job would not allow that or my workload. And then also, um, I'm not a young person anymore and doing that kind of traveling or touring. And I've heard, you know, it's it's fun to be recognized and looked upon as, you know, a star or whatever. If you want to call it that in bluegrass, we don't call them stars. <laughs> There you go. But a lot of the guys that play with me have done that, and um, it's it's not fun. That's you know, what I keep this hearing. Is fun. Yeah, if you're playing, you know, five, six, seven nights a week, it's not fun anymore. You know? Turning that passion so, into uh, a job makes it work is what I hear. Yes. And, I mean, a couple of the guys I have, are, are they've toured with some of the top names, Del McCurry, Lynn Morris, uh, my fiddle player, his world-famous Thad Marks. Everybody knows who he is. He lives two miles from our farm. I have him trapped. He can't get away. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. So, uh, you coerced him by yeah, location. He, yeah, that and I treat him real well. I feed him very well. He's probably the uh, you know one of the best fiddlers in the world, and uh, and everybody knows it. And uh, he's just a super good guy. My bass player Heath Laird from York, Pennsylvania. He'll travel anywhere I want to go. He has his own band, which is a very very well known bluegrass band called Bluestone very popular oh yeah but you know he's he's part of my band too and he promotes it just as hard as he does his his own band so uh, we're we feel very lucky to have him and of course terry wittenberg on the banjo is probably one of the best banjo players in this part of the world so we're in for a real treat when we come out and hear oh absolutely i i think not only do we have really good music and and the songs are wide-ranging enough that it kind of pleases everybody but i think we actually we're not, I'm going to use this term, we're not a bunch of guys standing up at urinals because that's what kind of bluegrass music <laughs> used to look like. Oh, that's going to leave an image. I like it. So I have to, in closing out here, i got to ask, what is your favorite bluegrass song and your favorite non-bluegrass song to play? Okay, my favorite bluegrass song to play is a song that I do. It's called The Traveling Teardrop Blues, and it was written by um, Sean Camp, who is very, very well-known and the bluegrass and and some other genres he's multi-genre person songwriter probably not not on the top 40 but you've probably heard many of his songs but it's a really cool song I, i'm going to put the word it has a lot of movements in it okay. it's not a straightforward song so it produces a lot of feeling in the different movements of course uh, my sister singing um a couple of her songs just they bring the hair up on the back of my arm you know when she sings What's your favorite non-bluegrass? My favorite non-bluegrass song would probably be um, ZZ Top's Nationwide. <laughs> oh, wow. Yep, that's a good one. So that's what we request it, in the encore, right? <laughs> you know what? Well, we could probably work, work it out because it's kind of got that, it's a funky rhythm song. And some of those can be really worked out with bluegrass. Larry Cordell did a really good, uh, who's a famous bluegrasser and writer, wrote Highway 40 Blues and Murder on Music Row and everything. But he did a song, a Leonard Skinner song called The Breeze. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's way better than, than their, when he performed it with his band, it's way better than Leonard Skinner's version. Oh, man. Uh, and it's kind of, that would be something for someone to look up if they wanted to see a non-traditional bluegrass song done in an extremely very well way. But um, yeah, there's a lot of songs 
that can be uh, turned to of a more bluegrass sound that can work. So uh, if we want to come out and see you, we go to your website, which is? HarrisonHaywireBand.com. And we're going to see you at the Winfield Carnival. We can see you at Rob's Bluegrass. We can see you at the Morgan Chapel Church, Morgan's Coffin House. All local here with some really high, top-quality bluegrass music. Yeah. I so, thank uh, you for taking time out of hauling hay and getting the hay in and the hay out where you're right in the middle of making yeah. hay season to talk about the music and hear you smile. Yeah. I hope, I hope everyone gets to come out and listen to us at some point in time. I think they'll be uh, pleasantly surprised. I've heard that before. I don't know if that's a compliment or a, that's a compliment. <laughs> We're just leave it there. It's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> so, the proof's uh, in the pudding. There you said, go. Yeah, there you go. So we just, we, we really react good uh, with two audiences. I, you know, I always take time to go out and talk to folks, you know, in between sets and stuff. I, I want to hear them, talk to them and uh, be a part of the show. So we will be out and see you. And thank you for joining us here on Raising Connections. And thank you all for listening us. Grab your coffee cup and come out and see Bill Harrison and the Haywire Band. Bill, it's always good to hear your voice, and we'll see you around here locally. Once we know your face, we'll have to stop you and have a bar or two sung. Oh, absolutely. Of course, unlike many in the industry, I have a face for a radio, I think. So, <laughs> that makes two of us. <laughs> Hang in there. Take care now. Bye-bye.